scripture tonight is from 1 Peter, uh, chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere and brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The word of the Lord. Well, this has been a week of of goodbyes, as many of you know. And if you're a guest tonight, we'll just kind of fill you in on that a little bit. I think we have a few pictures here. Uh, if we could go to the next one. Uh, Dan Fry, many of you may know him. They bid farewell to their dear mother, Jean, on uh, Friday night. Uh, she had been sick with dementia for five years, and their family just did a heroic job coming together to, to care for her. It was a beautiful thing to, to watch. And then, of course, uh, our beloved Suzanne Hassel, um, we said goodbye to her Thursday. I mentioned this picture to you last, last week, and it just struck me as a very beautiful one. Suzanne had founded an order. It was called the Order of St. Bridget, and it was a community of women that would pray together and read Scripture together and care for one another. And, uh, and they always met at her house on Wednesday afternoons. And the last Wednesday, they said, where should we meet? And I think she was conscious enough to say, Here. And uh, so the community came around, gathered, and, and uh, that, that really is... I was meeting with a young man that day, and we were kind of talking philosophically about what really matters in life, and this picture just came across my phone, and I opened it, and I said, that. <laughs> That's a good life. And then our beloved uh, Danny uh, got a call. His brother, uh, John, on, uh, on his right... Uh, came down with cancer eight weeks ago and died Saturday morning. And so Danny was en route when he, when he died. And one of the things that, that John said once he figured out what was going on was, he said, you know, nothing matters more to me than my relationships with you. I want time alone with each one of you. And so the brothers came in and had some real good conversations. And Danny was telling us this on the Friday lunch group, and he said, two of the brothers tend to fight a lot, and I don't know which ones. But they started to fight in John's presence. And John said, that's enough. You're not going to do that in front of me anymore. And uh, it's changed their relationship. So as painful as this is, when you start to have conversations with, uh, with folks at that moment of their life, you are reminded, and it's almost a cliche, but we'll say it again, that relationships are really what life is all about, right? I mean, the quality of a person's relationships is really one of the most satisfying aspects of being human. And let's be honest, the, the loss of relationship is one of the most profoundly difficult parts of, of being human. And so we're, Peter is asking the question or exploring the question in this text tonight, if that's what really matters, loving well, ending your life with a circle of people that will be there around your bed to pray with you or care for you well enough to work through family conflicts or 
want to sit down and have a conversation with you when they know they only have a few weeks to live. If that's the goal, if that's something that we're striving for, uh, how do we do that? How do we love well? And Peter, if you've been with us, we've been going through the letter to 1 Peter, and he's writing to believers that are living in a culture that is starting to shift, not starting, but uh, in a culture that was dramatically different than their own value system, and they were trying to figure out how to live faithfully in that culture. And so he starts off by reminding them of who they are in Christ, and then he tells them to do three things if you've been following along. He tells them to be hopeful. We looked at that. He tells them to uh, be holy. We looked at that. And then here at the end of chapter 1, he tells them to love well. Uh, Verses 22 to 25 are all one sentence in the Greek, one long sentence, and the center of it grammatically is in verse 22. And maybe we go ahead and put uh, put the verse up there. I think we've got that in there. The center of the sentence is... (laughs) Uh, clove one another. Uh, <laughs> let's love one another. We, sorry, we goofed that up a little bit. Uh, that, that <laughs> clove one another earnestly from a, from a pure heart. <laughs> I love it. That's great. That's when we're in a hurry. Um, so that's the core of this, of this whole command. Love one another from a pure heart. Now, as you probably know there are four Greek words used in the Bible for love. Uh, Phileo, uh, brotherly love, that's the love of affection, uh, the love of just somebody you want to go hang out with, you really enjoy, you've been through things together, they're very special to you. Now phileo can go away because I may stop wanting to hang out with you. (laughs) Then I don't have phileo anymore. Phileo is more about that sense of man. It's really fun to be with you. Now, uh, the second one is sturge, and that's the natural affection that a father might have for a son. You might even have for a, a pet or something like that. That's a nice kind of love, but it's a lower form of love, according to the Greeks, because what if the son ticks you off? Then you don't have that affection for him anymore. Now, the third kind of love is eros. That's romantic attraction, and that's uh, the country music uh, love, and that's, uh, which is something we all should do every once in a while, is listen to country music. I've been, I've been doing that again lately. There's like one song, <laughs> repeated over, over and over. And the song is always, you make me feel wonderful, give it to me. And that's that kind of love. You make me happy, so I love you. What's the problem with that, class? (laughs) If you live longer than a butterfly, you will find out that uh, the person you love doesn't always make you happy. At least that would be the theory that we would would suggest, is that no one is capable of always making you happy. Now, the fourth kind of love is a very different kind of love. It's agape, and that is a love that really doesn't have much to do with emotion. It's more... Acts of sacrifice. Uh, it's the cross. It's God's love for us. It's, it's uh, covenant love. It's what Dan Fry and his family lived out the last five years. Uh, it's, look, I'm in relationship with you. I'm committed to you, and you're stuck with me. There's nothing that you can do that is going to change this. I'm going to love you until the day I die, period, no matter what it takes. That's 
agape love. So three of those loves can go away. The fourth one uh, does not go away. It endures. And that's the Greek word that Peter uses here. He says, look, I want you to agape one another. I want you to live sacrificially with one another in enduring ways that last forever, uh, whether you feel like it or not. And that's one of the things that's to mark you as a community is the way that, that you don't quit on each other, but the way you stay in relationship with each other. And he says we're to do that earnestly. That's a, a word used for an athlete in competition striving, so it's hard. We're to do it with a pure heart, in other words, literally without masks. Or to do it without hypocrisy. So it's a sweaty, sacrificial love. It's the highest kind of love, and it's the rarest kind of love. So I ask you during the confession, who are you struggling to love tonight? And so maybe you could, uh, you could revisit that for a moment. Um, who is it that for some reason at this point in your life you're just having a little bit of trouble uh, loving well. And, and, you know, I hope we can be honest about this and not sort of sentimental. This is the, like the hardest thing you can ever do in your life is love well the whole way through. I think that's what I was so moved by in these memorials this week. These are people that worked through a lot of hard things and loved the whole way. That's really hard. Can we just acknowledge that it's really hard? Especially when our culture has become so transactional about relationships. And, you know, it's very much, uh, uh, I have a need. If you meet it, we're friends. If you stop meeting it, I'll, what do you call it, defriend me or un- whatever. You click something and you go away. And uh, that's the way our culture deals with it. This is a very different kind of love. So I was just thinking about some of the, the friends that I know. And when I tell stories, I want you to know I always honor confidentiality, so I, I change up the story a bit so that uh, I'm not violating confidentiality. But I'm thinking of a friend. Um, and he has been a wonderful father to a, to a son who's a, he's a good, good young man. Um, gradually, over time, they've figured out that the young man has a mental illness. And I don't know if you have a loved one with a mental illness, but it's, to me it's one of the most challenging things because you can't tell. I mean, you don't, it doesn't look like anything's wrong. And they behave in certain ways, and you think, you know better than that. That was such a dumb choice. Why did you do that? Gradually they've realized that, you know, that this individual has, just doesn't have the capacity to do certain things. And so we were both at the point of tears over breakfast just talking about what does it look like to, one, just accept that? You know, because if you're a parent, you know, one of the things, you have all these dreams about what they're going to do. You start, you know, when they're, when they're born. And, and what do you do when you realize that's never, never going to happen? And what I need from them is never going to come from them because they just don't have the capacity to do it. What does love look like? then um, maybe you're in a season in your marriage uh, where you feel increasingly distant. 
you feel like the, your partner doesn't really know you that well, doesn't really want to know you that well, not really working hard to figure out your love language, and you feel increasingly trapped and nobody seems to care. How, how do you love then? Or maybe you've got a, a close friend that you've been walking by for a long time. Uh, maybe they're a roommate or someone uh, that you thought you'd really be close with forever, that maybe you thought this would be the person that would speak at your funeral, and something happened and they hurt you. But they won't admit that they hurt you. And when you go talk to them about it, somehow it always comes back on you. And somehow you always wind up the the bad person in the relationship. And finally, you've given up trying to reconcile because it always blows back on you. And you're really struggling to forgive because it's, it's, it's easier to forgive when someone says, you know, those three, what have they said, the three words, the three sentences that we most want to hear, I love you, I'm sorry for hurting you, will you forgive me? Aren't those like the three words that we all want to hear. Um, a lot of times those never come, right? And so when they don't come, how do you, how do you love? How do you agape them? Now, there's another layer of challenge. When you think about how hard loving is, um, and, and I won't go into this much because I'm no expert on it. It's just something I've been reading about lately because I've been bumping into it. Psychologists tell us that when we come into a relationship, any kind of a relationship, it's not a blank slate. It's not like when Kathy and I first met the first year of the church, we both just started fresh. No. Uh, every time we go into a, a new relationship, I bring all the relationships I've ever had in the past. You bring all the relationship you've ever had in the past. And then all this stuff happens unconsciously. We don't even know it. Where I start to project onto you things, you start to project onto me things. It's a miracle we ever love anybody. I, I once was in a very difficult relationship, and one of the things I realized when it had failed was that I'd gone into the relationship projecting my father needs onto the man who was older. And that put all sorts of... Uh, unhealthy uh, energy into the relationship because when he hurt me, he wasn't just hurting me. He was tapping into this whole father need that I have. And I think actually he brought some of his needs, uh, unmet needs into the relationship that kind of damned it from his side too. Okay, let's pray and go to the table. Um, (laughs) So what we're trying to illustrate is that country music love is... You know, you know, wet T-shirt love and pickup love and hot summer night love is, you know, easy. That's not what we're talk, talking about. We're talking about not lust. We're talking about long-term circle around the deathbed kind of love. Well, it's interesting that the Greeks talked a lot about this. So did the Romans, uh, and. 
today, a lot of people write well about relationships. So there's a lot of wisdom out there about good relationships. But Peter takes it a whole different level. And he says, um, how do you do this? Verse 23, he says, you're able to do this since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And then he quotes from Isaiah 40, the verse that talks about how enduring the word of God is. This is what he's saying. He's, He's acknowledging that agape love is almost impossible for most of us. It's just, it is for me. It's just, it's so unnatural. Transactional love, unfriend me love is natural. Uh, I I love you because you're beautiful is natural. I love you because you give me something I need is natural. I love you because you agree with me politically is natural. Agape love is unnatural. Peter's acknowledging that, and he's saying, "Here's here's why you can still do it. Because the living word of God has made you born again and lives in your heart. Because, and in the Greek, there's two words for word. Uh, one of them is logos, one of them is rhema. And this is rhema, which is the idea of this now active, dynamic, uh, healing word uh, of God that's in us by, by the Holy Spirit. And so, that really, this is just so rich. When, when you think about it, what, what he's saying is, the source of your capacity to love sacrificially is the living word of God alive in your heart. And I want to just play with that for a moment before we go to the table. Um, here's something I've observed in my life and in many of your lives. If, if the goal of the Christian life is Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself up for me. If that's the goal, to have Christ live through me, then God will allow things to happen in our lives that cause us to fail and therefore cause us to depend on him. And one of the things that he will do is allow your relationships to fail. I don't know how it all works. I wish it didn't work that way, but it does. One of the ways God pushes us to draw back to him is when we come to the end of our rope when loving someone else. And we're just broken and we just can't do it. And then we say, living word of God, would you love my son through me? I can't. I'm so hurt right now. I'm so disappointed. I'm so wounded. I've just given up. I'm so cynical. I'm exhausted. Would you love him through me? And maybe that's a place where God finds you tonight in a relationship is that it's about over for you. You just don't know where to go with it. I think God has allowed that to happen so that you would move beneath self-help and wisdom and good principles and press into that space where the living word of God, the Rima word of God, is alive in you, loving that person through your brokenness.
hard to get there. That's agape love. Now, there's another way to think about this. Is I think what Peter's saying is, in community, all everyone that's decided to give their lives to Jesus Christ, that living rema word is alive in us. So, when Reba and I sit down, the living word alive in her can connect with the living word alive in me, and out of that comes can come a profound uh, agape connection. And I think we're getting a little window here into the mystery of Christian community in that it's when Christ in you relates to Christ in me, we experience a, a level of love that's far deeper than the stuff that comes out of my flesh. And if we push it just a little bit farther, this gives us really an exciting way to think about relating to each other and talking to each other and praying for each other. Uh, Somebody told me earlier tonight, I just love it when so-and-so prays for me. And I said, you know, what's happening there is they are connected with the living word of God in them. And as they depend on the living word of God in them and they speak over you, that's bringing to life the living word of God in you. It's a very profound connection. So one of the things that we can start to think about when we're in conversations is, what is the living word of God doing in this moment? And and I find this both scary and exciting. That you can start to enter into relationship and enter into community. You go out to dinner tonight, and, and we all have you know normal ways that we will start to talk, and that's fine. And you know, how's your, how's your week and how's your vacation and and all, and all of that. But if we can cultivate an awareness where I begin to sense what the living word, the Rima word, wants to do over the pizza. Whoa that can get exciting and lead to some profound discussions and lead to some rich community. And I'll just tell you (laughs) one story that we kind of stumbled into that I think illustrates it a little bit. Um, You know, we have a relationship with uh, Overcoming Believers Church. Nothing formal about it. We just have done a number of things with them over the years. Daryl's become a very good friend. And... uh, I've been praying a lot about, well, how do you deepen that? What does that look like? Is that just something for me or other people involved with that? And so one of the things we started to do is uh, Daryl had asked, are there some things that we could do together? And so we thought, well, let's start by having our staffs get together for lunch. And so uh, we've been doing that about quarterly. And so we had one on on Wednesday over at their church. And, um, you know, it can be kind of odd. You know, where you take your staff and their staff and you're all in a room and you're kind of wondering, well, what are we going to talk about? And, you know, it's funny, even small cultural things, when, when Daryl says, we'll eat at 12, that's not, it's just not what he, what he means. He, he, he means, you know, 12-ish. And so we, Jesse and I, Jill, they had a grandbaby, and so she wasn't able to be there, and so it was just Jesse and I, and, you know, 12.01, we knock on the door, and 
he finally comes out and he just shakes his head and says, you never will understand how we think about time, will you? So, you know, so we start off like that, and about 20 minutes later, you know, we're sitting down to lunch, and, and uh, it, you know, when church staffs get together, usually you talk about how well things are going, where God's at work. Um, and I was sitting there, and, and I think I... I was just prompted to ask, God, is there something else that you want to do here in this lunch? And I, I decided to share something that I was really troubled by. And I don't think I ever would have shared something like that in a meeting like this. And so I just went, boop, and just kind of put it on the table. And there was like this real deathly silence that settled over the lunch. Have you ever been that guest at a dinner party? You know, like, oh, I can't believe, what? I can't believe he just said that. And, you know, you could hear like a potato chip or something like that. But other than that, it was like, oh, we've got an hour left. Where is this going? Well, then Jesse, who's very gifted conversationally, um, just started to ask some follow-up questions after I kind of just went boop. Hour later, we'd had the most profound conversation uh, with a person of, persons of other race that I've ever had in my life. And Daryl says, we don't talk that way. What happened? We want more of that. And so we decided sometime this fall we're going to go on a little retreat together. And even if it's just a half a day, and just sort of do it again, talk more. And Daryl said, let's talk about racial reconciliation. And one of his associates said, uh, Kim, walk in, said, no, not yet. Let's talk about something else. And I share that with you because for the 99 times this week I goofed up, that might have been one moment when I actually listened to the living word in me, and it created a very awkward moment. But with Jesse's help and the Spirit's guidance, a very profound interaction. And, and I, maybe it's all the death, I don't know. I, just a lot of dying lately. You know, I, I, I'm, I hope that's not the new normal, but... We are getting older. Um, I don't know what it is, if it's aging or what, but I just don't have much energy anymore for boring conversations. <laughs> I just, I can't do it. They just don't give me life. They just don't go anywhere. And so that painful five minutes when all you could hear was chips crunching, um, it was so awkward, but it was so alive. And, and I think maybe what I'm saying is that if, if we learn to kind of connect with the living word in us and actually trust to follow into conversations that might get really weird and awkward, it might be uncomfortable, but it might be really, really rich and lead us to agape love. Let's pray.